0: Our reading today comes from Leviticus 2, chapters uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and Leviticus 3, verses 1 through 5. It's found on page 81 in your blue Bibles. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offering. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven, as an offering, it shall be of unleavened loaves, of fine flour, mixed with oil, of unleavened wafers, smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it into pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and he shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from it the grain offering, its memorial portion, and burn this on the altar, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is the most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant of your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons and the priest shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove from the kidneys. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering which is on the wood of the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well,
1: good morning. Good morning, great to see you this morning, Uh, glad that you're here. My name is Bryce Hales, I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and we are going to spend uh, the next several minutes uh, talking together about that passage that Carl just read, but before we do that, let me invite you to pray with me. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, as we come to you this morning, uh, in your word. God, I pray that we would not just learn uh, about you, that what we would see in your word is not just some interesting details about people who lived thousands of years ago and how you interacted with them. That we wouldn't just learn about you, but that we would experience you, that we would know you, that we would feel uh, you to be embracing us and meeting with us in Jesus' name. We are continuing this morning our series that uh, we started a few weeks ago in the book of Leviticus. And uh, Leviticus, I have to say, Leviticus is kind of blowing my mind. Um, Leviticus, I think, is a little bit like Brussels sprouts. It's like the Brussels sprouts of the Bible. Um, We have this vague sense that there's probably something in there that's good for us. But we don't like the taste of it, so if we have to swallow it, we just want to do it as quickly as we can and move past it, right? Uh, I know that has often been my approach to Leviticus. I think um, before I started studying for this series, I think I'd probably read the book of Leviticus like twice. Um, and both times it was just out of sheer determination. I promise I'm going to get through this. I'm just going to sit down and read it all in one setting, you know, swallow those Brussels sprouts as quickly as I can and, uh, and just get it over with. We have a tendency, because Leviticus is weird and it's, it's, it's unfamiliar. And I mean, Carl just read about, like, the long lobe of the liver. Like, <laughs> what is that about? Um, and so I, I think we have, Christians have this tendency to look at Leviticus and say something like, I mean, it's all fulfilled in Jesus anyway, so, like, what's the point, really? Let's just, let's just skip it. Or, like, it's going to mess up my Bible reading plan in a year, so I'll just do it in a weekend and, and get past it. But um, preaching through Leviticus has forced me to slow down um, and actually chew, uh, the, you know, the, 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 this passage. And, and, and man, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible book. Um, I have uh, begun to lament my ignorance of Leviticus. I think we have to admit that reading Leviticus is work. Um, But as with many things, uh, it's worth it if we put in the time and we put in the effort. Um, I want to encourage you. um, there's There's so much to find in Leviticus. Leviticus has... Um, think about this, Leviticus um, was the first book of the Bible that little Jewish children would have memorized um, in, in kind of Saturday school, I guess. Uh, imagine if we, if we were to make the announcement, uh, we're going to change our children's ministry here at Resurrection OC, and what we're going to be doing now is, is our children are just going to begin to memorize the book of Leviticus, that's, that's what we're doing. Uh, I can't imagine the kind of emails. I, would, I wouldn't even get emails. you just disappear. You know? I would just be like, well, that's somebody I used to know who had kids who go somewhere else now. Um, Jewish children would... That be? Why? Because it's the framework for all that, that is going to come in the rest of the Bible. The book of Leviticus contains the most direct speech that we hear straight from God of any book in the Bible. I mean, think about what that means. A lot of the Bible talks about, uh, describes the activity of God, the interaction of God with human beings. And occasionally it records the actual speech of God. And Leviticus records more direct speech, the actual words of God himself than any other book in the Bible. Leviticus is strange, but it's worth the effort. And... um, in order to glean all that it has for us, we're gonna to have to put in the effort. So, I want to encourage you that um, to to follow along with us. If you're if you miss a Sunday, uh, I want to encourage you to go to our website, click on media, and listen to the podcast. You can catch up um, because you're gonna have no idea what's gonna happen in Leviticus. Uh, like this is a part two sermon. I think this is the only part two sermon I have ever preached in my life. Actually, last week was part one. This is part two. Um, if you want to understand what we're talking about next week, well, you're here, but, you know, you're going to, if you miss a Sunday, go catch up on the, on the, on the podcast. Uh, understanding Leviticus will help bring a level of depth to our understanding of the Bible, and it'll help us to see much more clearly the beauty of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do today. Uh, this is part two. Sacrifices, part two. Leviticus talks about, actually, Leviticus has five different sacrifices. that uh, There were five sacrifices that were central to the worship of God's people. But we're only going to talk about them in two categories. Um, we're going to have mercy. <laughs> um, because the, the sacrifices break down roughly into two categories. There are sacrifices uh, that are part of the worshiper, that enable the worshiper to say, I'm sorry to God, and we looked at that last week. Um, and then the second category of sacrifices are sacrifices that enable us or help us to say thank you to God. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at um, this morning. And here's, here's how I wanna set this up. Um, Ashley and I, uh, this summer is gonna be what, 15 years, right? Our 15 year anniversary? So 15, uh, Ashley and I dated for almost five years before we got married. And we were 17 years old when we started dating. We were in high school. And uh, we dated for so long that it never occurred to me that being married would be hard. <laughs> um, it, it just seemed like we'd been looking forward to getting married for so long that I thought once it finally happens, it'll just be, it'll just be easy. And um, so we got married, and then we moved in together, and then we had to figure out how to actually live together. right? There was, we had this relationship, we got married, but then we had to learn how to live together and uh, there was a lot of challenges that we had to overcome. The the most significant challenge I thought was merging our CD collections. Um, I really thought that was going to be a big, like CD collections have proved to not be that significant. In any way in our marriage But I was very concerned Because my CDs were all nicely organized Alphabetically organized Ashes was a mess I was very concerned about the merging of the CD collections (laughs) How are we going to live together? Okay, that is the question that Leviticus 2 and 3 is answering Um, God has brought his people out of slavery And there has been a marriage God has has married his people there at Mount Sinai uh, he gives the Ten Commandments to his people, and there's, there's like a saying of, of the I do's. God gives the Ten Commandments, and, the, and Israel responds by saying, everything that the Lord has said, we will do. Okay, so there's the marriage. And then they got to figure out, and then we have to figure out how we're going to live together. Um, God's people are intense. They're, they're kind of on this prolonged camping trip on the way to the land that God has promised to give them. And God says, I'm going to live, I'm going to move in with you. I'm going to live in a tent, and I'm going to live in your midst. And this is what it's going to like look like to live together. So we saw that last week, in order to draw near to God, to know God, to know that we are okay with God, we have to enter, uh, we have to draw near to God by way of a sacrifice, by way of a substitute. We have to, we have to approach God by saying, I'm sorry. Um. And it's a beautiful picture of God's grace. So how do we respond to that sacrifice? Well, here in Leviticus 2 and 3, we see two sacrifices or two offerings that are a way of saying thank you to God. Saying thank you to God. There's a grain offering and a peace offering. And I'm going to add car 2 um, to chapter 3 also. I'm mostly going to talk about the grain offering in chapter 2. What the grain offering is doing is it's a picture of a meal. Um... It's the you, you, You're going to bake a loaf of bread, and you're going to bring it to God as a kind of symbolic meal. What is a meal? It's a, it's a, it's a time to um, experience intimacy. And so it's this time to, to come into God's presence and say thank you by bringing God a meal and saying, God, I want to know, I want, I want to experience an intimate relationship with you. I want to know you and to be known by you. You've delivered me. And now I want to say thank you. And I have to say before we dive into the passage that that's what we want. Uh, Whether you consider yourself a Christian this morning or not, what we are looking for in life is intimacy. Um, To be known by someone who knows us and still likes us. Uh, We wake up every morning longing, craving intimacy with God. And what we have in Leviticus is how to get that intimacy. So I want you to see two things in this passage. Uh, And the first thing is the the order of the offering. First, the order of the offering and then the meaning of the offering. So the order of the offering first. Uh, You have to see the order. I keep saying this, but Leviticus 1 is saying, I'm sorry. Leviticus 2 is saying, I'm thank, uh, thank you. First, I'm sorry. Second, thank you. And the order is crucial here. The order is crucial. When I was in seminary, when I was going to school preparing to be a pastor, Ashley and I lived in Scotland. We lived in Scotland for three years, and we we were part of this church that by our standards would be a very, very traditional church. And so um, as a young kind of uh, training to be pastor, our pastor there would often um, ask me to, to, we had a morning service and an evening service two separate services every Sunday, and he was desperate for somebody to, to like preach for him as often as, as possible. So he would often ask me to, uh, to, to preach for him in the morning or in the evening. And what would happen is, um, well, I, I would preach and then the service would end and we would have this time that we referred to, Ashley and I referred to as awkward silence. Service would end and the congregation would sit down and be awkwardly quiet for an indetermined length of time. You didn't know how long you're supposed to be quiet for. But while the congregation was being awkwardly quiet, I would walk to the back of the church and I would stand at the door and then I would shake everybody's hand on the way out. And um, so it's like this receiving line where to me it feels like I've just stood up and like bared my soul. And then I gotta stand there and shake everybody's hand. And everybody has to say something to me. And so typically, Um, I would get two. like sometimes somebody would say something totally rude or or out of line It was usually funny, Um, but usually people would say one of two things sometimes people would say something like that was wonderful And I would say thank you Um, Or sometimes people would say something like thank you for your message And I would say you're welcome So people are saying things to me and I'm either saying thank you or you're welcome but because I'm just doing this over and over, it's like this receding line, sometimes I would just get confused and say the wrong thing. And so sometimes somebody would come out and say something like, wow, you are really, really great today. And I would say, well, you're welcome. <coughs> and it's like, one of the, as soon as it comes out of my mouth, what would occur to me is, it's really important to say thank you at the right time. <laughs> Saying thank you in the right order is crucial. And that's what we see here in Leviticus. Um, generally speaking, there are two ways to relate to God, two views of how human beings should interact with the God who created us. And the first is, um, is to relate to God on the basis of what I have done, the life that I have lived, to say, uh, well, this is kind of who I am, and surely God loves me, and surely God accepts me, and surely God blesses me. Um, that, that way of relating to God is essentially to say, um, I obey, or I just am who I am, and therefore uh, God accepts me. The other way to relate to God, the Christian way to relate to God, is the inverse, is to say, God has accepted me, not because of what I've done, but he's accepted me on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so I approach God not on the basis of what I've done. Um, I approach God because he has accepted me in Christ. And therefore, out of gratitude, out of of a response, out of thanksgiving, I obey him. One of you says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. The other says, God accepts me, therefore I obey. You see that, like, it's the same phrases. I just switched them. But the order is crucial. The order is crucial. Um, And here's why. (coughs) Excuse me. A friend of mine, Les Newsom, who's a pastor in Mississippi, of all places, pointed out in a, in a sermon I listened to on this passage that in every relationship, he said, every relationship requires both sacrifice or involves both sacrifice and intimacy. So that makes sense. Every relationship that you have. Unless it's like a relationship, you know, with your mailman or something. You know, the relationship. Every relationship that means anything involves both sacrifice and intimacy. Um, you can understand the intimacy part. Relationships are about knowing people, but every relationship that is, is worth anything also requires sacrifice. Ashley and I uh, are having our house painted. And um, it's like the world's slowest house painting job. Um, Tomorrow they will start their third week, I think, since they started. But it'll be great in the long run. But our house is such that on one side, for the painters to get to our house, they have to be in our neighbor's patio. And um, so for like two weeks now, the painters have been setting up and messing up our neighbor's plants. And last week they called us and they're like, is this thing ever going to end? And, and we're like, yeah, we'll get there eventually. And so Ashley and I are talking about we really should just buy them, a, a buy our neighbors a gift to say thank you. Uh, do we have to do it? No, of course we don't have to thank them. But we like them, and we want them to like us. And so it's a relationship that we want to continue to maintain. And therefore, it's appropriate to you know, offer a very, very small sacrifice to say thank you to them, right? Every, every, um, Every relationship involves both intimacy and sacrifice. But I think that the truth is that most of us, just kind of by our banter or inclination, have a predilection to either sacrifice or intimacy. Some of us want sacrifice and don't care so much about intimacy. Others want intimacy with no sacrifice. So um, sacrifice without intimacy might look something like... Um, We've all heard the story of the parents, who uh, you know have been diligent, fit, uh, you know, done everything. They've just been great parents all along, and then the kids go off to college, and they uh, they uh, let's just say uh, choose a different set of values, right? Whether it's Christians, uh, a Christian family, and the kids go up, go up, go off to college, and they kind of give up on their parents' faith or, or whatever it is. Um, and the parents often find themselves saying something like, we did everything right. Um, we did everything right. And have no sense that um, growing up in their household was all sacrifice and no intimacy. Um, it's tragic, right? All sacrifice and no intimacy. Um, people like this are very concerned about what are the rules of this relationship? What is required of me in this relationship? Um, uh, We tend to be much less interested in the the joy of the relationship, the the intimacy of the relationship, right? Others of us prefer intimacy without sacrifice. And if you're this kind of person, you might be the life of the party, but your relationships tend to be shallow and short-lived. Why? Because of the social butterfly you're flitting from one thing to the next and you're not actually um, you know the the minute that a relationship looks like it's going to cost you something you just move on you move on to the next thing and I think we have to say that 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 second intimacy without sacrifice is sort of the dominant theme of our culture um, as it as it um, relates to relationships we love relationships we long for intimacy but um we hate the idea that it's going to cost us anything um i'll give you an example of this this uh if you don't live in ladera this is not immediately relevant for you but it'll let you see what this means there, there is a um, proposed amendment to ladera ranch hoas like ccnr like the rules that would basically prohibit smoking anywhere in ladera ranch um, I guess, technically, you can still smoke in your house, but you can't smoke in your backyard or your patio or any common areas in Ladera Ranch. Now, I don't smoke. I don't really like breathing secondhand smoke. I used to have a neighbor that smoked, and I would complain about it. But it's the idea that I'm okay to live near you as long as you don't impinge on me in any way, right? Intimacy without sacrifice. That is the theme of our culture, and, um, and, um, and our, our, our relationships are shallow. The moment um, a relationship requires of us, we cancel. Um, the moment that uh, something feels like it would cost us something, we bail, we just send a text message when we're out. So relationships are shallow. And where that has left us, I've mentioned this before, um, but that has led us to a place where there is, uh, according to the, the Surgeon General, an epidemic um, in our country, that middle aged men by and large have no friends. Um, it's an epidemic that, according to the Surgeon General, is more serious than um, the risks, the health risks associated with obesity or smoking. Uh, why? Because we don't want to be involved in a relationship that costs us anything. All relationships will require both sacrifice and intimacy. But in Christianity, what I want you to see is that sacrifice always comes first. Um, sacrifice has to come first. Our culture's kind of common sense view of God is that surely God is a God of love, and therefore He just accepts us. Um, he just loves me. Um, and because there's no there's no depth, there's no there's no meat, there's no we don't enter into God with the sense that um, a sacrifice has. Been required in order to allow us to enter into God's presence, we take His, his the intimacy that He offers us very lightly. We don't actually enjoy or experience uh, that intimacy. In my first job, when I was uh, 16 years old, I worked at, at uh, Big Dog Sportswear in Laguna Beach. It was the weirdest job I ever had, uh, mostly because the entire my entire employment was premised on the fact that one of the Female employees there had a crush on me, and uh, the moment I was no longer interested, this is a rabbit trail, does not. Um, but I worked there for like three months, and one day I went into to work, and the the my boss, the manager of the store, um, you know, said, "Hey, I need to talk to you. Come back to the office." And I went back into her office, and it was this kind of I thought it was like this kind of cool, casual environment. I went back into her office and kicked my feet up on her desk. And she walked in and she said, get your feet off my desk. And then she fired me. And it wasn't, she was going to do that. It wasn't because I put my feet on her desk. But but that's how we enter into God's presence. Um, We kind of walk, waltz into the presence of the big guy, kick our feet up on his desk and say, aren't you glad to have me here today? And God says, hey, listen, we got to talk. Um, Yes, there is intimacy and sacrifice, but sacrifice has to come first. Because it's a picture of God's grace to us. We come to God not simply on our own. We need a go-between. That's what the burnt offering was about we talked about last week. Before we can come to God, a sacrifice is required. And in Jesus Christ, we see that God doesn't simply exact a sacrifice from us, but he actually offers himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. In Jesus Christ, God becomes a man and lays down his life as the one true worthy sacrifice. Jesus substitutes himself, taking our place on the cross and giving us instead his perfect relationship with God. See, ultimately, a sacrifice has to be made But it isn't made by us, it's made by Jesus. But it is right and proper that we pause before waltzing into God's presence and saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. I know I haven't been the person you have called me to be. I haven't even been the person that I would want to be. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's imperative that we say I'm sorry before we say say, thank you. Okay, that's the first thing, the order is important. But secondly, the meaning of the offering. The meaning of what is the point of all this stuff, Carl read uh, a few minutes ago. Well, um, in Leviticus 2, we see a uh, it's a it's a, a grain offering. It's a sacrifice or an offering of about three pounds of flour and oil that you are going to bake into a loaf of bread, and you are going to bring it to God as a as an offering to say thank you. Like I said, it's like a symbolic meal that is picturing coming into God and saying, thank you, and I want to be in, in, pre- in your fellowship with you, and I want to sit down and enjoy a meal together with you. And uh, you probably noticed, as Carl read, that there's this repetition of the offering. <coughs> it says, if you break, uh, bake your grain offering in the oven do it like this. And if you bake it on a griddle, do it like this. And if you um, bake it in a pan, do it like this. And then we didn't read it, but at the end of the chapter, it says, um, and it's sort of like, if you don't even have a pan, just like roast the grain. And, and what, what, is, what is it talking about? Why does it keep saying these different methods of cooking? Well, we, we saw this last week. It's, it's, um, it, it's, it's inviting us to come into God's presence regardless of our financial status. Um, what it's saying is something like this. You, know, you might have a Williams-Sonoma kitchen. You know. You might have a Viking oven. And if you do, use that. Um, but you might have more like a Home Depot-grade kitchen. And if you do, bake your, your offering in your you know, GE um, or LG oven. And if you don't even have an oven, you might have a George Foreman grill. So you know, bake your bread on the George Foreman grill. And if you don't have that, you might have a hot pot. Um, and if you don't even have that, you might just have a pan, and you can cook it in somebody else's kitchen. Um, what, it, what, it, what Leviticus is saying is this. Whatever your financial position, God invites us to come to him. But notice what is also repeated there. With every offering, what's repeated is the ingredients. And it's, it's repetitive that, that you are to bring fine flour and oil um, we have flour and oil like everywhere, but and so it would be lost on us that these would be expensive ingredients. What it's saying is, hey, if you're going to cook your offering on your George Foreman grill, that's fine, but you need to get your ingredients at Whole Foods. Okay, you need to bring the best that you have to God. Um, what I think, what I think we're seeing is this: that God understands human nature. Um, Because if 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 it hadn't if Leviticus two hadn't specified, you know, if it's in the way of Sonoma kitchen, it's got to be fine flour with oil, and if it's in the average you know middle class kitchen, it's got to be fine flour with oil, and if it's just in the pan, if it's just on the griddle, fine flour and oil. Human nature is such that we would all say, well, I'm not like the I'm not the richest person I know, Uh, so. I'll just bring kind of whatever I have on hand. And God is saying, no, regardless of your condition. Uh, it, it, you see what it's saying? God, God is going to accommodate you, but he's also going to ask you to bring your best. Um, whatever your financial position, I want you to come to me, but I want you to offer your best. It's saying, if you get invited to go have dinner with the president, Just go with it, okay? If you're going to go have dinner with the president, you're not going to drive through Mickey D's on the way there and pick up some food, right? You're going to bring your best to meet with God. Leviticus is showing us that God will accommodate us. He's not after our money, our resources, our stuff. He's not trying to bleed us dry. But he asks us to bring a sacrifice that is meaningful. And I think we need to talk about that for a minute because... I think the reality of the place that we all live, if you're in this room, is such that it's easy for us to sort of live with like, um, how do I say this? It's easy for us to think that we are like the George Foreman type people, when in actuality we're probably more the William sonoma Kitchen people. And here's what I mean. Um, You probably um, saw this A week or two ago, there was a government report that was released that that said that the poverty line in Orange County is now $84,000 a year. Um, I know most of you saw that because like half of you shared it on Facebook. But think about what that means. It means to be poor here, you have to be really, really rich. And so we live with this condition where we make more money than like 99.9% of people Who have ever walked on the planet and yet we feel like we're struggling and so it's really easy for us um, to be in this position where we feel like oh man i'm so pressed for time and i would be so much better of a neighbor if i wasn't working so stinking hard just to live here or um i would give more time to my children if i didn't have to you know work so hard or I would be a more generous person with my money if I just had a little bit more, if I didn't feel like I was just barely keeping my head above water. Um, but what God says is it's not just the rich who can say thank you to God. God will accommodate us, but he asks us to bring an offering that is meaningful to him. And I think that that's um, really challenging, and it's also really beautiful. Um, it's, it's challenging because it humbles. It's humbling to the rich and it's empowering to the poor. It's, um, it's humbling to the rich because it says, unlike everything else in your life, when you come to God, your money, your status, your influence doesn't earn you anything. Um, that you come to God just like everybody else comes to God. But what it says to those who are not well off financially is that God invites you to come to him. Uh, God invites you to participate with him in this meal, in this feast that is being pictured. Uh, Another way to say it is that God gives the poor a seat at the table, at his table. In our country, the most generous people are those who earn less than $24,000 a year. Statistically, people who are in the lowest socioeconomic bracket in our country give away a higher percentage of their wealth of their wealth than, the, than those in any other category. God honors those who are not financially well-off by inviting them to bring an offering that he delights in. That he delights in. It's a pleasing aroma. It's a pleasing aroma. So we cannot simply, um, we cannot simply say, you know, if I just had a little bit more. Um, studies indicate that every church, regardless of size, says we'd give away more money if we were 25% larger. Um, human beings say I would be more generous if I had 25% more income the grain offering invites us to say thank you to God by offering him a portion of what he has given to us it's a symbolic offering it's a picture of bringing um, our whole selves to God it's a picture of saying everything that I have has been given to me by God and I'm returning to him just a small portion of what he has given to me I think we often feel, um, have you ever felt like this? I think we often feel like um, God is remote, God is um, sort of removed, God is distant. And maybe sometimes we open up the Bible and we read about these people who, who seem to have a greater greater experience of the intimacy of God in their lives, the presence of God in their lives. Or maybe we know somebody <coughs> Excuse me, who um, seems to just, have a greater sense of the awareness of God's presence in their lives and seems to experience intimacy with God. And, um, and sometimes we wonder, you know, how, how uh, we want that, but how, do we, how can we experience that for ourselves? And I think we see the answer here in Leviticus, that God doesn't withhold his favor from his people, but it's as we offer up our whole selves to him, our whole lives to him, that we experience that we experience intimacy with him. It's because we have held back from God, not that we actually could, but we experience ourselves the holding things back from God that we don't experience the intimacy of God in those areas of our lives. Um, I'm not speaking, like, theoretically. I mean, this is so true for me. Um, I am so afraid... That if I let go of control in my life, that the things that I am holding on to are just going to crash and burn. And so I'm like white knuckling it out. And it doesn't, when I'm being tight fisted with the things that I think are so important, it doesn't really matter if God's blessing them or not. Because all I'm experiencing is, is holding on to it. And I miss the intimate presence of the God who loves me. And so the question for us this morning is this, what is keeping you back from offering your whole self to God? What's keeping you from offering Him your time? What's keeping you from offering God your finances? What's keeping you from offering God your children? Um, What's keeping you from offering your whole selves to God? God is not stingy. God is not stingy. He's not trying to, like, wrestle control away from you of the good things in your life. God is inviting you to feast with Him. He's inviting you to feast with Him. That's what we see throughout the Bible. From beginning to end, God wants to invite His people into a feast. What did Jesus leave us to remember Him by? He left us a feast. What was... the, The Pharisees were always getting on Jesus' case. They were always getting mad at Jesus because what was He doing? Because He was feasting. He was partying. With sinners, what's keeping you from offering God your life? Or let me be very literal here: what's keeping God from offering you your your kitchen? Um, You know, many of us we live with these like beautiful kitchens, and we 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 eat. We act like we're like a college student in a dorm room, like eating alone around a hot pot. We're not we're not putting these things to work. Like, let's celebrate. Let's. Let's party, let's feast together. Let's bring our neighbors into our homes. Because when we don't, we're acting like the people who killed Jesus. Um, the God of the Bible is a God who feasts with his people. He invites us to bring him our best to say thank you. Let me finish with this. I saw a, um, an Ikea commercial and I don't, I don't know if this actually aired in the US, but I saw this online. And um, it was an IKEA commercial. They brought in a bunch of little kids, I don't know, like eight and younger. And, um, and they said to the kids, uh, it's, it's a Christmas commercial for IKEA, and they said to the kids, OK, you're going to write a letter to Santa Claus. And the kids wrote these wish lists to Santa Claus. And of course, they wanted things like Xboxes and new bikes and all these you know, things that my kids know about, but I don't remember. I don't know what they are. Um, and uh, so they they wrote these really long Christmas lists and they said, okay, now you're going to write a second letter and this is a letter to your mom and dad what do you want for Christmas from your mom and dad and it was a very different letter it was a much shorter letter these uh, little kids wrote things like I want my mom to read to me every day I want to spend the whole day with my dad just with my dad I want to go on vacation next year as a family and so the kids wrote these, these two letters, and then they said to these kids, Okay, now, if you only could send one letter this year, which one would you send? And of course, you know, they him and haw, but all the kids end up saying, We'll send the one to my parents. <laughs> I can see, we're like, right? I mean, they bring the parents in and tell us the parents are weeping, but what it shows us is this that what we want is intimacy, not stuff. And we're trying to fill the void of the the lack of intimacy in our lives with the stuff. And we're holding on to it, and we're white-knuckling it out, and we're missing the God who says, I want to know you. I want to live with you. I want to call you my people. I want to feast with you. I want you to come into my presence with open hands. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 picks up on Leviticus 2, when he says, "I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship." You know that phrase, "This is your spiritual act of worship." That's so cool, right? Like we are so like we want to be spiritual people. We don't want to be religious people. We want to be spiritual people. But what does it mean to live with God? not to have this vaguely spiritual sense that there is a God who's out there who I don't really know. I just believe that he's there. What does it mean to actually live with a God who knows you? Not just to experience him on Sunday morning, um, but to experience him on uh, Tuesday morning at work or to experience Him on Thursday evening with your kids, or um, you know, in, in every moment of our lives, what would it mean to know and be known by God, to have intimacy with Him, to experience the thrill of an ordinary life lived in the presence of God, knowing that He loves us, that He is with us, that He is for us. Well, Leviticus shows us that He wants to be known, that he is not hiding from us. And so Leviticus invites us to come to God by saying, first, I'm sorry. But having said I'm sorry, by saying to God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Responding to him by offering him not just our stuff, but all that we are. By giving him our whole lives in gratitude and thanksgiving. God loves you. God loves you to offer him all that you are. Let's Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that in Jesus you have shown us your love for us. That you just like a huge billboard in the middle of human history show us Sacrifice is necessary. You have to approach me by way of a substitute. And yet, God, you are pleased to make that sacrifice for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he laid down his life in order to give us life. And so, God, we respond to you with thanksgiving, offering you all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.